Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning and welcome to Manna for Breakfast. How are you doing? Once again, we are pressing on, going into the weekend now. So we've got a lot of um, things going on. It's going to be a fun Sunday, as they all are really, but this Sunday is Day of the Child, Dia de los Niños here in Mexico. And that being said, we're going to have the kids heavily involved in the service. I even asked one of our little guys, Stephen, to see if he could do a little teaching for us. So we're going to see how that goes. The kids are going to sing. It's going to be fun. So I invite you guys to join us for that if you can. So let's look over to this day in trivia history. Hmm. Vietnam War, Saigon, the embassy evacuation, 1975 on this day, April 29th. 1,373 citizens were evacuated, 5,595 Vietnamese. Well, it's nice to see our military can evacuate people from foreign countries when they're under attack. Hmm, hmm, and not leave people behind. Watergate tapes, mm, 1974, April 29th. Richard Nixon announces the release of edited tapes of the recorded transcripts of the White House between him and his aides. And... <laughs> Boy, that is nothing compared to what's been going on lately. Man. Mm, World War II, the Dachau concentration camp liberated. This is pretty a nice day in history. April 29th, nice for the, obviously, sad day for the world overall, but nice for the all the prisoners. 1945, April 29th, the German concentration camp at Dachau is liberated by U.S. troops. It opened in 1933. It was the first of the Nazi concentration camps in Germany. More than 30,000 people were killed there. Hundreds died as part of medical experiments. It was originally used to house prisoners, but eventually was used to imprison Jews, Catholic priests, German and Austrian criminals, and foreign nationals from countries that Germany invaded. During the liberation, U.S. troops killed a number of guards that were surrendering. Some of the troops were brought up on charges, but General Patton dismissed the charges. Hitler's wedding. On this day, 1945, the German leader Adolf Hitler married his mistress, Eva Braun. Of course, the day before, they, they supposedly committed suicide together. Short wedding. Or was it? There's some really interesting documentaries out on the History Channel. I didn't believe it. Don't don't ex, don't expect you to believe it. But two submarines went missing, and they tracked them down to the southern tip of South America. And there are reputable historians that study this that believe the body in the bunker was not his, and that they had a plan of escape all along. Which, being that he had that much organizational skills, that many vehicles, that many people, and that much planning to... It, it does seem a, um, a possibility. Okay, this one's interesting. April 29th, 1899. So I love this. This is a picture of a guy sitting in this car. This thing with four wheels. It looks like a torpedo, a big torpedo with four wheels on it, underneath it, on a carriage. The Belgian electric car, La... Jamais contente 
the never satisfied, tops out and breaks the speed barrier for cars at that time. This is 1899. 1899. The top speed record of 65.7 miles an hour, 105 kilometers per hour. 65.792 miles per hour. It had two direct 25 kilowatt motors running at 200 volts, drawing 124 amps each and a 66 horsepower total. So the first fast car. Electric cars were the first. And <laughs> now we're going back to them. Interesting. Um, that's about it. The Treaty of Fort Laramie, 1868. Established the Great Sussex Reservation, including the Black Hills, and established U.S. government would hold authority to punish both white settlers who committed crimes against the tribes and tribe members who committed crimes and who were delivered to the government rather than face charges of tribal courts. It stipulated that the government would abandon forts along the Bozeman Trail and effectively ended Red Cloud's war. However, violations with white gold miners and settlers led to the Great Sussex War, 1878, ultimately to Custer's last stand. The government would eventually take back the Black Hills Territory in 1980. The Sussex won the U.S. Supreme Court case in which they were offered $120 million compensation for the land. They refused the money, stating that they wanted their land back with interest. The money has now accrued to over $1 billion. So I don't know where that stands. And R Roger's Thesaurus Peter Mark Roger Thesaurus is released to the public. The original edition contained 15,000 words. He had worked on it for almost 50 years. Way to go, Peter. Good man. That will do it for our little walk through history. And now let's look at the dad jokes, if we can get those in there. How about this one? I wish COVID had started in Las Vegas because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, okay. That's kind of goofy. How about, um, all right, stop laughing already. Okay, there you go. I'm trying out my new laugh tracks. Or we can try. Even got another one here. Um, why couldn't the green pepper practice archery? Because he didn't have a, a habanero. Habanero? <laughs> that one's pretty bad. That's a true dad joke. We will now go over into 1 Samuel and chapter 17. Get yourselves ready. Find your place in the Bible, please. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we have with you. We ask your blessing upon our time we spent in your word that you would feed us, God. It would be satisfying. We would grow. We'd have a deeper love and appreciation for you and for your word. And we'd receive direction and guidance and hope in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Goliath's challenge now for Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damon. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array. 
to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite in Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second with him, Abinadab, uh, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistines came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp of your brothers. Bring also these 10 cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousands and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle, array shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. While all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done 
for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul. And he said for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Well, he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to him, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by the gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hand, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." and that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver you into our hands. Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into 
his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistine as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way of Shararaim, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistine and plundered their camp. Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, You inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistines' head in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now it came about when he had, I'm sorry, chapter 18. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including the sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out whenever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. And it happened as they were coming When David returned from killing the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands. Now, what more can he have? but the kingdom. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from Saul came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp in his hand, as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as the commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life? 
or my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law. So it came about at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Mohalathite, for a wife. Verse 20, now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David when they told Saul the thing was agreeable to him. Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. Saul commanded his servants, speak to David secretly, saying, behold, the king delights in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words to David, but David said, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man? And lightly esteemed, the servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. Saul then said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told these words to David, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law before the day's had expired. David rose up and went and his men and struck down 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, for a wife. Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter-in-law, loved him then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. The beginning of David's great, um, shall we say, exploits and, and honor in Israel and the war between him and Saul. The story of, of him coming to the battle line is so interesting. I love it in, in light of his brothers, and his brothers are so jealous of him. You know, what are you doing here? <laughs> Where are the sheep? It's just, it was so natural. And he's like, hey, what are you doing bugging me? I'm just following what dad says. Come out and check on you. And of course, you know what his brothers were thinking, what David was doing, right? They were jealous of him because he was just trying to get ahead. Okay, that was a bad dad joke. Um, he was not trying to to further himself or get above his brothers in honor or esteem or anything. He was just taking the cheese and the bread to his brothers. But he, in the process, hears that there is this Philistine mocking God and mocking the God of the, the army of God. Jonathan is listening to all this, and the reason why Jonathan instantly bonds with this guy is because Jonathan had that same heart. Jonathan, you know, looks at his armor bearer and says, hey, what's to say that God can't win by many or by few? There's just the two of us. Let's go up against the whole army. And uh, now, not to belittle David or, or diminish this amazing thing that he's going up against a giant. I mean, David is going against a literal giant. One on two, really, because he had an armor bearer, but one on one. Jonathan was going up against the entire army, a 
essentially he he by himself he was the only one with a sword by the way going up to to fight that's probably why he went first and then once they start killing a few his armor bearer probably got one of their swords so these two guys had an amazing faith in god and they focused on god and remember that when you wait run into the woke culture that try and use these verses about david and jonathan to think they had some kind of uh unnatural relationship shall we say uh their hearts were knit together knit together because of their faith and their trust in god that was the glue the bond that we have a holy God that we serve and we are his servants. And you talk to any, I mean, anybody that's been in battle too, that is willing to lay their life on the line and, and to stand up for their country and for their, for what's right and everything. There is a strong, strong bond that forms. And Jonathan's a, a soldier warrior too. And he says, man, this, I'd like to go, I need, I'd go to battle with this guy anytime. So they have the, that strong bond at the same time, of course, <laughs> Saul's son is is forming a friendship and a bond. Saul's daughter is forming a friendship and a bond. The whole nation is forming a friendship and a bond with David. And all this does is make Saul realize that his days are numbered. He knew that Samuel told him that God's ripped away the kingdom from you. He's going to give it to a man after his own heart. And so he looked at David with suspicion going, this must be the guy. This must be the guy. So what do you do when you say that God has told you he's going to take away and give it to you? You try and kill him. Like, right. This is just, it doesn't make sense. He's essentially saying, I'm going to fight against you, God. I'm not going to let you do what you say you're going to do. So Saul was jealous of David, and he tries to kill him off. And of course, we find out it's not going to work. And God is going to replace Saul. But we And now the interesting question, this is a tough question. It's one of those things that people have different opinions on. But if David had already played for Saul to calm his spirit when he first found out that the kingdom was being ripped out of his hands, how come Saul didn't recognize him now and say, whose son is this? And there's some different interpretations on that. But one of the interpretations is that he was much younger when he was playing the music for Saul and he left and went back to tend the sheep spent a long time tending the sheep he was a, a few years away from Saul and in that time grew up from a young teenager to a very old teenager you know ish 20s or something because he was still a young man Saul looked at him and said hey you're just a youth and in that time grew a beard you know grew his hair out who it's hard to say if if that's the right interpretation but that's the most kind of the most used and most logical to where he probably bulked up and uh had gone from a 15 year old to a 20 year old or something like that and so he didn't recognize him and so that's why he said who are you oh okay now come back to, now i want you to come stay with me full time you were with me earlier but now i want you to come with stay with me full time and be over my army luke chapter 20 now 27 to 47 now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. And they question him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. 
Now there were seven brothers. And the first took a wife and died childless. The second and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. And he said to them, How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? And while all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and, for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Wow. And I imagine it's right in front of them all. So what's going on with Jesus and the, and the scribes and the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees? The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and you know the rest, right? That's why they're sad, you see. And they were questioning Jesus, trying to trap him with a resurrected dilemma. Okay, if all these guys were alive and they're going to be resurrected and come to life again, and we following the law of Moses, whose wife is she going to be? Huh? You got a problem, Jesus, because you're going to contradict the law if only one man is supposed to have one wife and all seven died and they're resurrected. And, and he's saying, Look, you don't understand anything. In What he's saying is, you are trying to trap me because you don't believe the resurrection is real. But what did we learn from Moses? What did we learn about Abraham and Isaac? The word tells us that they themselves will be resurrected. He's basically telling them that the resurrection is real. We have Old Testament confirmation that, that it is real. And therefore, the resurrection, the point that they were trying to dispel about the resurrection, Jesus saying, you're wrong about the resurrection, it is real. And then he adds, and by the way, no, nobody, there's not going to be marriage in the resurrection because there's not a need for it because people are going to live forever. In your resurrected body, you're going to live forever. So there's not going to be a need for marriage. So he, he deals with that and brushes that away, but the real focus is going to be to these guys, there is a resurrection. And we have biblical proof from Moses there is. What's interesting is 
the, the scribes are all like, yeah, yeah, we believe in the resurrection. Way to go, you know, and making themselves look better than the Sadducees, you know. And there's all these people around going, well said, master, and their their little prideful robes and everything. And Jesus says, watch out for those guys. He, you know, he just destroyed the Sadducees, but he's going, but watch out for those guys. They're deceivers. You know, they rob widows' houses, and they love, they're prideful. They love all of the accolades and the best places in the synagogue. So and Jesus brings it back, the simplicity, brings it back to the core of belief. Believe in God, trust God, follow God, and don't put your faith in these men that lead you down these dead roads of theology and ritual. And that's basically what he's saying to them all. All right, now, Charles Spurgeon. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Proverbs twenty twenty two. Be not in haste, let anger cool down. Say nothing and do nothing to avenge yourself. You will be sure to act unwisely if you take up the cuddles and fight your own battles. And certainly... You will not show the spirit of the Lord Jesus. It is nobler to forgive and let the offense pass. To let an iniquity rankle in your bosom and to meditate revenge is to keep old wounds open and to make new ones better forget and forgive. Pre-adventure, you say that you must do something or be a great loser. Then do what this morning's promise advises wait on the lord and he shall save thee this advice will not cost you money but is worth far more be calm and quiet wait upon the lord tell him your grievances spread rabshakeh's letter before the lord and this of itself will be an ease to your burdened mind besides there is the promise he shall save thee. God will find a way of deliverance for you. How he will do it, neither you nor I can guess, but do it he will. If the Lord save you, this will be a deal better than getting into petty quarrels and covering yourself with filth and by wrestling with the unclean. Be no more angry. Leave your suit with the judge of all. Boy, that's... Good counsel. Rabshakeh's letter, I believe, was with Hezekiah when they were on the wall and they were going to invade the city, besieging it, and they were at their wit's end and and uh, all these horrible things were going on in Jerusalem. They are all starving and everything was getting bad. And he he finally just, just, the terms of surrender coming to him was given to him and he lays it out before the Lord and on his face and he's crying out to God and God hears him and brings around this great deliverance. On Israel. So that's basically what we're saying. So um, there's not much to say about that except for obey it, do it. A challenge, certainly a challenge for me when you feel you've really, really been wronged. Really, really wronged. It's a real challenge to do that, but do what we must. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful morning that you have given us here, and we pray for those that are battling with leftover snow or flood waters or whatever's going on there and help them, God, as they are settling into the coming summer with what it will bring, and we do not know. 
we do know there's going to be various difficulties um, in different parts of the world and um, maybe a lot of severe weather this year as we're getting closer and closer to your second return. But thank you regardless. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our businesses. Thank you for our churches and guiding us through the troubled waters going on in this world right now. Many, many difficult things going on. God, we want to lift up the, the war in Sudan for your uh, quick intuit and your protection of the innocent, the children, the Christians. So horrible to see these things and preparing also, God, um, those in Taiwan and helping them find um, shelter and, and God, that you would somehow use the the nations of the world to hold the hand of China in its invasion and as well in this war in Ukraine and, and Russia. Russia again rattling their sword and saying they have not they have not completely ruled out nuclear weapons and um, trying to make an end to this war. So serious things going on. We have again we have more weird, strange stuff going on in the United States with the government and different uh, different things going on and a lot of unrest a lot of things that are transforming our nation and collapsing our nation and we just pray you would and not only us but Canada almost faster to want to lift up our nations God and here in Mexico that you would stabilize the Mexican government even more so than it is to resist the onslaught of this globalization and help us God maintain our freedoms in uh, the church and in all aspects of the freedom to choose the freedom to elect officials freedom of speech so thank you God for what you are doing and we do ask for your healing on um, those that are crying out to you needing needing a touch from you for healing this day Thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, the things you're going to do this weekend, God. And we look forward to tomorrow. And again, just lifting up your name, worshiping you, praising you, and thanking you for all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said in the beginning, you might want to try and catch us online tomorrow if you're not here in town, because it's going to be fun. It's going to be different. Day of the child. So we're going to really, really focus something new for us we're going to we're going to try and let the kids run the service for, for as much as they can and i'll be there cheering them on and also backing them up and and have some words to say as well so we'll see how it goes pray for us pray for the kids and we're going to be excited to see how well they do thank you guys for continuing to subscribe as you do and sharing manna for breakfast with people around you so that others can get in the habit and be blessed of eating and taking in the manna, the word of God every day. God bless you. We'll see you on Monday and we'll try and get out a podcast for tomorrow on the audio podcast. God bless you. Bye-bye.